Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter uh, 12. We're going to finish this particular section in God's Word. And if you're here with us uh, for a while, you know we've been going through a series in the Gospel of Luke. And as you think about what Luke is all about, it's really telling the story of Jesus. Uh, the word gospel means good news and the news about who Jesus is. And, and Luke particularly wanted people to know that what he was writing about was not only true, it was the truth. And if you were to divide the whole book in kind of half, you'd find out that half of it is all about telling the truth about Jesus. And then the rest of the half is telling the truths from Jesus. And so you have Jesus speaking into our lives. And, and really, I hope, hope you get that idea that when you come to church, that's why you come. You, you come to hear from God, not, not from a talking head up here, but believing that when we get to this book, God has something out of this book to, to speak into our lives. And, and so we're going to see that this morning. And, and we're going to look at, at the truth about why Jesus came. Now, if, if you're familiar at all with this book or you've been at church at all, you say, well, I think I already know why he came. And actually, if you were to look at passages in the New Testament, you'd find out there are multiple reasons why he came. One source I looked at this week listed 31 specific reasons why Jesus came. Most of the ones we, we gravitate toward immediately. You know, why did Jesus came? Jesus came to give us what kind of life? Eternal life, life that lasts forever. And on the other side, that's the quantity of life. I came that you might have life uh, uh, eternal life, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And the other verse, which is probably just about as familiar, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to give us quantity of life, life that would be with him forever, and then quality of life, that life would be abundant. It doesn't sound like it gets any better than that. But the truth is, there's some other reasons Jesus came, and, and as you think about Jesus coming, good news for some, but those who don't respond to his news, it's what kind of news? Bad news for others. And, and so we're going to see from Jesus, this is not someone talking about Jesus or describing what they think Jesus meant by why he came. We're going to hear from Jesus about why he came. But as we think about it, initially, Jesus came to deal with life. And let's be honest, we live in a world where life is, uh, is just uh, sometimes confounding, isn't it? I was just, early this morning, I, I saw an article, and it was someone who took out one half page an obituary notice in the Miami Herald. And this uh, individual, is, his name is Eric Peter Verbeck. He was an A student. He was one month shy of graduating, and from all reports, uh, he was a friend to everyone at school and all the positive things like that, but he took out his life and left a long note, suicide note. He took his life one month before he turned age 18. And if you think about that, that's, that's not rather, it's not really surprising in terms of teenagers taking their lives. In fact, since 1975, Suicide among adolescents is on the rise. And the, the last statistics uh, just a couple years ago that I was able to come up with just early this morning was that in 2015, 1,537 suicides among uh, males in the teenage age bracket. 
524 females, or to put it this way, 2,061 adolescents took their life. Now, why, why did they take their life? Well, we could list all kinds of reasons, but whatever you want to say, they took their life because they didn't want to live any longer. And the message that we're so familiar with, which is that Jesus came to give life, life that would last forever, quantity of life, eternal life, and quality of life, abundant life, they didn't have that hope. And we can go through all kinds of political things. This, my point here is not be political, but in 2016, there were three shootings that took lives at schools. In 2017, there were four 2018, we know there was 18, 17, 18 in Florida. And those are tragic because you have someone else taking someone else's life, but even more tragic when someone else takes their own life. And so as we think about the message that we have, the opportunity and privilege to to pray that people would hear and respond to, and and also the privilege that we have to get that message out, this, this is a matter not only of life and death, but eternity at stake. And Jesus would often speak, and probably more often than not, we would, we would hear about that he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to take people out of, out of darkness into light. He, he, he came to bring hope. He, he came to give that water, which once you take of it, it's a living water. You'll never thirst again. He came as the living bread so that when you partake of him, that we will experience life to its fullest. But in the midst of all that, he also warned people. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at it. It's kind of a sobering message in some ways, but it's also a message in which we realize that this, this is where life really is lived, understanding what's most important. Why, why did Jesus come? What, what's the truth about Jesus coming? And we're going to see some rather surprising reasons why he came, at least the way he presents it, but it also is not too surprising when you think about the stakes that are at hand for those who either respond or don't respond to his message. So Luke chapter 12 begins, verse 49, and, and he just jumps right into it. This is right after Jesus had, had been preaching about um, living life and understanding it's not all about how much you have. Don't be filled with greed. Materialism is not going to bring you happiness. Realize you don't have to live a life of worry if you, if you really believe that God's got your life in, your, in his hands. And, and then, he, then he springs right in to uh, those who, who either respond to his message faithfully or, or reject it. And then he says these very plain words. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Doesn't sound like happy news this morning, does it? Why did Jesus came? Why did Jesus come? Well, taking the verses right out of the text, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to cast fire upon the earth. <laughs> you go, wait a minute. What happened to eternal life and abundant life? Well, what do you want to say again is to warn people, look at it's good news for some and it's bad news for others. As I come to bring light, for some that will allow them to see, but some of that light will be fire and they'll be consumed. And really, this is not a surprising message because actually it's, it's, it began at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 3 at his baptism. We have these words, um, 
recorded for us from John the Baptist himself. Verse 15, Luke, now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. And even a servant didn't usually have to play with people's feet. They said, that's, that's, your, that's your own responsibility. He says, I'm not even fit to touch his, his sandals. And then he says this, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In the case we wonder what that really meant, he goes on, his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear the, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. This fire that is to come, as a result of those who won't respond, it will be a consuming fire. It will be a fire of judgment. If you look at the last book in the Old Testament, at least as we have it in Malachi, or for those who think it's an Italian book, Malachi, in Malachi chapter 3, verse verse 2, we have these words, again, predicting the Messiah to come. It says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? I think, wait a minute, the coming of the Messiah should be a good day. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. I remember my, uh, my brother used to sell fuller products door to door. But, you know, fuller soap here is the idea when, when he comes, the fire is going to be a, a, a time of judgment, but it's also going to be a time of purifying. There's kind of alkali, I guess, in fuller soap. And what it takes is that which is not only you know, dirty, but it, it purifies to the point where it, it makes it white when it was so dark. And so when you think about Jesus coming, he's coming not only to bring life, but judgment and pronounce it on people's lives. Now, for those who know Jesus, we, we need to understand that when he comes and, and as we look at that final day, he's, he's going to take our lives, he's going to take the things in our life that weren't very good, and he's going to get rid of that, and he's just going to leave that which was done in, in faithfulness to him. He'll look at our life as in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you know, your life is basically built on two types of things, either things that will last or things that won't last. You know, gold, silver, and stone, he'll go through the fire and he'll just be purified, but the things that are wood, hay, and stubble, they'll just be consumed. And so we think about Jesus coming, it's a good time for, for those who, who know him will be more purified and cleansed, but for those who come, there'll be a, a time of judgment. If we're not quite convinced, now let me just read one other passage. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we have, we have these strong words from the Apostle Paul, beginning at verse 6. He says, For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction to those who afflict you, and give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. And then he goes on and says this, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end we pray for you always. 
Now, however you want to take it, it's hard for me to fit that into 70 A.D. This is a time when he's coming again. And he'll come with his angels. And there'll be judgment here on earth for those who do not know him. And so as we think about why Jesus is coming again, he's coming to cast fire on the earth. You know, and, and this is one of those passages that the more you read it, even at its surface level, it, it, it shows you the heart of God and his response to sin. He says, I, Jesus here, he said, I, I wish this fire was already being kindled. Which, as you look at the balance of Scripture, you know, God shares both sides of his heart. God is loving and merciful beyond measure. But he's a God of wrath and hates sin and is fully just, justified in whatever he brings here on earth. And, and as Jesus was contemplating what we're going to be remembering, which is not only the resurrection, the empty tomb, but Good Friday when he took on our sin for our behalf, is that every day he lived here on earth, he knew what was coming. He knew that he would suffer for our sake. And he wished it was already over. One of the verses I already read from the main text, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Mark read the section about the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus just prayed out to his father, if, if there's any way possible, take this cup from me. He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf. And the suffering that we look at physically was overwhelming, but what he experienced when he was abandoned by his father, forsaken by his father, it was, it was overwhelming to him. It was the baptism of suffering that he was to experience. You want to look at an interesting verse. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 38. The disciples, you know, they, they had a higher view of themselves than they probably should have. They thought they would, they would never forsake their master, their Lord, their, their Savior. And he says, do you really think you, have, you can endure the baptism that I'm about to experience? The suffering that I'm going to go through? So as Jesus prepares his disciples for what was going to happen next, and they were going to suffer there immensely, he said, I want you, I want you to be aware that, that I came to bring hope and life and forgiveness, but I also came to cast fire on this earth. And the blessed hope for us is that we know he returns for us, but there is judgment that's coming. It's interesting that that word for distress there, he's distressed because of the baptism that he's going to endure. It's an interesting word in the original language, it's soon ekomai, which means to be seized or gripped. And and that's happened when Jesus was taken to his trials. The the soldiers came and just grabbed him. And he was distressed about what was to happen. Now, for each one of these sobering words, there's an encouraging word. Because if we think, well, then, then why, if, if he had the power not to go through that, why did he go through that? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Which means as, as we look at those around us and we look at our own lives and we know him, the reason he did that because his, he loved you and the joy he, you bring to him when you're part of his family. Isn't that an amazing thing that, that the author of joy, that we can be a joy to him, even going through intense suffering, that's why he did it. But the passage moves on. Why did, why did Jesus come? There's surprising reasons why Jesus came. One, he came to cast fire upon the earth. And I'm just looking at textual statements here. I'm not inventing the outline here this morning. In verse 51, we have these words. Do you suppose, this is Jesus speaking again, that I came to grant peace on earth? Now, if you were to isolate that from the text and you say, did Jesus come to bring peace? And you would all say what? Yes, that's, that's the answer. Okay. If Jesus came to say, bring peace, say yes. Yes. And that is true. Jesus came to bring peace. There's plenty of passages that, that say that. Uh, one, he is the prince of, help me out here. He is the prince of, okay, so he is peace personified. In John 14, 27, he said, oh, by the way, peace I give you, not as the world peace, I give you my peace. And then in John 16, 33, he says, look at uh, these things I write to you that in order that you may have my peace, not like the world's peace do I give you. So hey, don't, don't, let, don't be troubled. And the reason, because I've overcome the world. Jesus came to give peace. For those of you who have been so diligent in all our memory work, in Romans 5, 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute, how, and you're, gonna, you're guessing what the next section says. I did not come to give peace. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Because, again, you need to see the other side of the, the coin. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, in case you didn't figure it out. I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three, they will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Of course, that last one, most of you aren't too surprised by that. That happens all the time. <laughs> I have a hard time with my mother-in-law. Okay. It, it, you know, but he's not talking about communication here, not talking about how you cook compared to how they cook, how you clean your house compared to how they clean your house, how you treat your, their grandchildren, you know, compared, you know, your children. It's not about that. He's saying, you know, what's going to divide them is not your personality or your upbringing or your certain, you know, quirks of nature. It's your faith. And, you're, and if, if we're looking at it objectively, and here's some of the doubts I, you know, at times I have. <laughs> is Jesus making people's lives better or, or worse? Is it, is it easier to walk with Jesus or harder? And the answer is yes and no. If we're really honest, it's... It's easier and harder at the same time. It's better and worse at the same time. He said, and, and because if, you're, if we're just being realistic here, if, if you bring Jesus into your life by faith and it, it ruins relationships in the home, why wouldn't anybody sign up for that, right? That doesn't sound to me like a very good sales pitch, does it? Hey, follow me and I'll mess up your family really good. I'll mess up your, friend, your friendship relations really good. Now, that's not the goal, obviously. And we look, you know, to the sidebar here. 
But he said, I want you to know it's going to happen to some of you. And it has. And we could have people get up here with testimonies where they've lost property, they've lost relationships with their, their parents, with their siblings. And why? Because they came to know Christ and they made it public and got baptized and, and there was, it was not, they weren't being a secret Christian here. And because of that, they lost so much. Does it happen to everyone like that? No, but it happens. And so, Jesus, I want you to know there's going to be division. I was, uh, I was on a site this past week. Uh, Sean McDowell, who's an apologetics professor at Biola, and he was interviewing a man named Caleb Kaltenbach. Kind of an amazing kind of experience he had. He's now a pastor, but when he was in his... Uh, Adolescent years, his, his father decided to, to leave and pursue the gay lifestyle. His mother decided to leave and pursue the lesbian lifestyle. And then he was left in the middle. And apparently what happened, he's got, you know, moved from home to home, decided which, you know, would, would he live with his father or would he live with his mother. And, and then something happened out of God's grace. And any, anyone who responds in a saving relationship with with Jesus because God reached down and touched them and, and he gave his life to Christ. Well, it was amazing what happened because you think the whole message of the LGBT uh, movement is tolerance. As soon as he became a Christian, they both kicked him out of their houses. But, but he didn't decide to give up his faith. He decided to pursue Jesus even further and he became a pastor. And the good news of the story, both his parents eventually became Christians. it began with division where you would have thought that, that it would have just brought hope to them but it, but it brought despair initially but then God is bigger than the divisions that happen when we make those first steps following Jesus so why did Jesus come? <laughs> he came to cast fire on the earth and whew, that's a little bit more intense than I would have expected. Jesus came not to bring peace, but division. Now, he still brings peace, but he said, look at that. Peace is an experience in every dimension because sometimes it will, it will divide your relationships with people. But what's more important, peace with God and the peace of God or always being at peace with people? The Bible says so far it depends upon you be at peace with all men, but sometimes people won't be at peace with you. But you can always offer them peace with God. And then they can experience the peace of God. Well, then he goes on. And again, it's just amazing how he's describing some things that he's warning them about times that they're going to experience here on earth. And also for us as it continues on. And in verse 54, we, we have these words. And he was also saying to the crowds, so he, he, he wasn't finished. And sometimes, you, have you ever heard someone speak and you, you wish they would finish a little bit sooner than they do? Probably happens every Sunday, right? Okay. <laughs> you, say, you just finished? Will you just stop? I've, had, I've heard enough. I heard more than enough. And, and it says he was also saying, and th- I'm, I'm just thinking about that. I'm thinking, yeah, this, this is enough to, to think about. All right, you're standing fire. You're, div- you're not singing peace. You're getting div- division. That's enough for me to kind of wrestle with it. And then he goes on and says this. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. 
And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. Are, are any of you religious on, you know, the Weather Channel? I mean, when I say religious, I mean you connect to it every single day. You want to know what the weather is. And, and uh, you know, on days that there aren't clear signs up there, they all have opinions. It's going to rain this day. It's not going to rain that day. Happened this past week. I was planning some things, and, and I predict. In fact, I actually came up here and told you something that wasn't true. I, I said it was going to rain on Saturday. Do anybody remember that? We're going to only have to work on the inside. Well, it didn't rain on Saturday. I mean, early it did. So I didn't predict the weather very well. But if it's on the same day and I see clouds coming that are dark and maybe kind of see some things that look like it's dripping from them from a distance and it's moving this way, I want you to know I'm pretty smart. (laughs) I can say, you know, (laughs) it's going to start raining real soon. Plus, if I just wash my car, I know it's going to rain, right? So, So he's saying, look at you guys predict the weather, you know, if they're, I lived in Banning, and in Banning it was called the pass, okay, and it's usually hot there, but if there's a hot, if there's a wind coming and it's already a hot day, I just know it's going to get hotter, okay, because it's going to blow all that heat into where we lived. You know, it didn't take a whole lot to figure that out. You know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but, uh, but I could figure that out. And, and that's what he's telling them. Look, at, it's interesting. Um, Israel's a lot like Southern California as far as its weather. It's almost identical. And he said, look, at you, you, you can figure out the obvious. If you can figure out the obvious, then what's wrong here? Let's move on. Verse 55, uh, or verse actually 56. He says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites? What is he talking about? He says, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you analyze this present time? Why do you not analyze this present time? Now, he uses kind of creative language here. He said, look, you can figure out when it gets, it's going to get wet or when it's going to get hot, but you have been longing for the Messiah to come, and the Messiah is actually in front of you, and you haven't figured it out. It's like it's actually raining on the top of your head, and you don't admit that it's raining. That's just, that's just hypocritical. That's saying, look, it, I'm smart enough to figure out things physically, but I can't at all figure out things spiritually when it's been outlined to you for ages. You've read about it, and now it's right in front of you. I was reading another article this past week, and the question was, what, if there's so many good reasons to believe in Jesus, then why don't people believe in Jesus? If you were to take the word of Jesus right here, for those who have heard and they have experienced some things that would lead them to faith, the reason they don't believe is because they're hypocrites. They, they say that they want to know, but it's, it's really a mask on their face. The, the reason they don't believe, not that they can't believe, is because they don't want to believe. Have you ever, uh, ever been in a situation where, you're, where uh, you ask for help, but you don't really want help? You ever been in that situation? Well, that's what he's saying here. You, you say you, you want the Messiah to come. You say you, you want to be convinced I, that I am who I have claimed to be, but... You're hypocritical because you really don't want that. You, you want to keep going down your own way. You don't want to believe because you're satisfied with calling 
your own shots. You, for, for us to believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord, there's a couple things that have to be self-evident. Number one is uh, Savior. We have to be convinced that we need a Savior and that we have sin and that we need to be saved from that sin, right? Because if you don't believe you have sin and you need to have a Savior to forgive your sin, there's no reason to look for a Savior, right? Same thing with Savior and Lord. We, we don't need God in our life if we don't want God to call the shots in our life, right? If we don't want him to lead us, then we, we don't need a leader if, we don't, if we're not willing to follow the leader. And that's what he's saying. You're a hypocrite. You say, I believe if, I, if I, you could convince me. No, no, I, that's not true. Because you don't want to be convinced. You don't want to admit your need and turn from your sin. You don't want to believe that, that Jesus is the Savior and God who can forgive, and only he can forgive your sin. And you don't want to commit to follow him as your leader and forgiver of your life. You're a hypocrite. So why did Jesus come? He, he came to cast fire on the earth. He came to bring division. Jesus came to reveal hypocrisy. For a long time, particularly the religious leaders, they looked pretty good. And they were, in many ways, really good. But what Jesus did, he, he, he put a spotlight on them and said, no, you say you want to follow God, but God is right in your midst. And you don't want to believe because you don't want to follow. Jesus came to reveal hypocrisy. And then finally, look at verses 57 through 59. And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while we were going with you, uh, for while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Now, this little story that Jesus told is, is a little bit confusing to begin with. You think, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me just take one of the words, at least in the New American Standard, that translate this way. In verse uh, 58, he says, you need to make every effort to settle. Well, I would put it this way. I would say Jesus came not only to cast fire on the earth. He came not only to, to create division. He came not only to reveal hypocrisy. He came to tell everyone to settle up to settle up. And, and really what he's trying to do, he, he, he's trying to appeal to common sense as it relates to the, the, the world with God and the relationship with God. And he say, if you look at it fundamentally, what is the message of the Bible? The message of the Bible is that, that God loves us. He cares deeply for us. He's the creator of our lives. But what we have chosen to do is rebel against him. We've wanted our way, and it's resulted in all kinds of specific types of sin. But it's, it's doing our own thing. It's living selfish lives rather than selfless lives. And the only solution to that is, is to God to take our mess and to clean it up. And that's why Jesus came. He came to deal with our sin, that's which separates us from him. And if, if we're just being honest with ourselves, we'd all have to say, none of us, you know, make the perfect mark, right? None of us 
If we were to stand before a God that was completely holy and, and you had to be perfect to get in there, would any of us want to take that risk and say, well, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm good enough. I'm perfect enough to get there. Perfect enough. Perfect is perfect, right? So we fall short. That's what the Bible, one of the ways the Bible describes sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he said, now, just common sense. If you find yourself a little short and, and someone uh, is going to hold you accountable for that, you, you, and there's some consequences if your account isn't made right, you want to do everything you can to settle up before you're before the judge. He said, in fact, just look at what life. If, if you owe someone money and you can't pay and they bring you for the judge, you know where they'll throw you? They'll, they'll throw you in, in um, debtor's prison. And you're going to stay there until you pay every single cent what you owe. And what he's saying, look at, do everything you can to settle up before you get to the judge. And, and, and in many ways, it's once a person won't pay, you know, it, it, the prisoner's debtor's prison almost doesn't make sense a whole lot other than they're thinking, well, maybe your family will raise money and they'll pay your debt. Because when you're in prison, you don't have a lot of means by what? raising money to pay your debt. And so why do they throw in there? Because at that point, the person you owe money to is so upset with you, he takes the letter of the law and says, I'm going to punish you. And, and what you want to do is, hey, do whatever you can. I mean, maybe you can pay a, a, you know, a, a dime to a dollar, or, or you can make a, you know, all those, you hear all those commercials where they say, I owed the IRS $30,000, and then I uh, got this lawyer named Warren Williams. No, you know, it, <laughs> And he settled with the IRS for, you know, one-tenth of what I owe them, you know. And, and all of a sudden, the IRS forgave the bigger debt because they said, I'd rather have a little money than no money, right? And I was kidding about Warren Williams. Okay. So, so he said, look, at anybody would settle if they could so they don't have to get in prison. He said, you're right here, and I, I'm the one who can settle your accounts, and, and you, you are just holding on. And he makes it very graphic with him. He says, you'll have to pay every little cent. Now, we're approaching as a, a world culture to a cashless society, right? Probably many of us, whenever we pay things, we, don't, we pull out a card. We don't, pay, we don't pull out of money. I remember when I was younger, when I was, um, you know, you used to change in your pocket could buy something, right? <laughs> and if you saw a change on the ground, you'd what? you pick it up because, you know, you get enough of it, you can do something with it. Now, you know, you, you, you see money on the ground and go, do I want to pick it up? You know, and you often will walk right by it. And if you're down in Newport, you'll, you'll realize they glued it there so you can't pick it up anyway. But, but <laughs> is that, uh, he said, look, I'm talking about every last cent. Yeah, I still pick up quarters and dimes and nickels. I've come to the point I don't pick up too many pennies, Right. A penny, what can you get for a penny? And really the penny there was one, the, the word there for penny there is lepton, which is, it means thin. It's a little copper coin, so thin. It, it was worth, depending on who you look at, it's either was worth 132nd or 164th of a cent. And he's saying, look it, I came so you could settle up and beyond that, I can pay every cent you owe to God. There's really 
when, when you think about our wrestling with that which is wrong in our life, we, we, we often will go to extremes. Either I don't feel I'm that bad, right? You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as some of you out there that I'm looking at, you know, so God will gray on the curve, so it's okay for me. Then on the other end, sometimes we think our sin is so bad, why would God ever forgive me? And look, God is sufficient for both. He's sufficient to say, look it, your sin is facing eternal judgment, and you need to wake up. And on the other side, your sin is never so bad that I can't forgive. So this morning, as we just conclude this kind of a hard-hitting message from, from Jesus, it really was for the purpose of, of waking people up and stirring in our hearts, not to be abrasive with people that we know that don't know Jesus, but just be motivated to realize that Jesus did come to give us quantity of life, eternal life, and quality of life, abundant life. But he also came to rescue us from the fire of judgment and purification that's coming. To realize, yes, there's a cost. There is a division. There is, if people are honest, there's a hypocrisy. We say we want to know the truth, but we don't really want to know the truth if we don't, if the truth will change us in ways maybe we're afraid will make difference in our lives that, that we can't handle. And, and Jesus is the, is the truth that changes us for good. And if we realize the depth of what is coming, we would do everything we could to settle up. And he is the one with outstretched arms saying, I will settle your account. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we, we thank you that Jesus spoke the truth. He's, he's spoken in powerful ways, both in the positive and I guess you could say the negative. And Father, I would pray for each one here, not, not that we want to be abrasive, but we want to be clear that, that Jesus is reaching out to them, even right now. And each of us come to you the same way. We, we come to, the, to you by admitting our need and turning from our sin, that which is wrong in our life. Believing, believing that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. And then coming to that place in our life where we commit, commit to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our leader and forgiver, and and decide to, to follow after him. And when we commit ourselves to you, then you give us new life in Jesus. If I would pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, they would just talk with you and say, God, I want to know Jesus in a personal way. I want to know him and follow him. And then, Father, I would pray for all of us that we would, be, we would be people who are passionately concerned about people that we know, just looking for ways to live the life and share the life of Jesus to them. Father, as we continue to worship you, we pray that we might just make the commitments you want us to make to be children of God and to be faithful children of God who pray for others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.